BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. I'm Rachel True. And I'm Trent Venegas. And you're listening to Quoting Gene Roddenberry. The 100-day podcast that celebrates what would have been the 100th birthday of the man that created Star Trek. Each day between now and the end of our podcast. August 19th. One of Star Trek's biggest icons. Or celebrity fans. Or both. We'll be quoting Gene Roddenberry. Then we're going to take a deep dive into why we think this sci-fi legend still has a lot to say to the world. Today's quote is read by Star Trek The Next Generation guest star, Captain Edward Jellicoe himself, Ronnie Cox. Writers cannot write without saying something. Welcome back to Quoting Gene Roddenberry. And this is our last episode with actor, host, and science advocate, Tamara Krinsky. Welcome back. Oh, not my last one. It's been so much fun. (laughs) We're talking to both of you. We've loved having you. Yeah, you've been a delight and a joy. And um, you've also been on the week of Shorter Quotes, I'm noticing. (laughs) Well, given that I'm 4'11", perhaps there's a connection. Are you really? I'm I'm a, you could put me in your pocket too. I'm all legs though. It's really weird. No upper body. It's all short. Mm. It's crazy. Uh, Everybody's (laughs) different. And that's what makes the world go around. So listen, this quote says, writers cannot write without saying something. On the surface, it's so simple, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Well, I was going to say, clearly Gene Roddenberry was never a development executive at a Hollywood studio because <laughs> I have read some scripts that say Girl, absolutely nothing. Girl, I was going to say that. I was like, no, Rachel, stay away from it. Absolutely. I said it. I said it. I think maybe, they, I think maybe what's implied is that good writers cannot yes. write without saying something. Yes, and as someone who's won an Emmy for writing, as Tamara has, right? And Trent had a uh, very successful blog, which was writing, and I had a book, which is sold really well out loud, all writing, right? Mm -hmm. And the one thing, I was very intimidated about writing a book because I hadn't written anything that long since high school, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. But um, I realized it was about making a point, right? And if I was going to write on a subject that was already well-trod, I needed to bring something new to the equation, mm-hmm. which I hope mm-hmm. I think I did, you know? So I think you're right. What he's saying is here is writers who care cannot write without saying something, you know? Mm-hmm. Like if you care about your craft or what you're doing or ultimately about reaching the audience, right? You you got to think about what you've put in it. You are the Emmy winning person. You tell us a little more of writing and what it means to you when you put something out there? Well, I think, look, I mean, we talked about this a little bit earlier in the week, the idea that you put your stamp on something, you put your comment, your point of view on it, but then you release it out into the world and the world gets to receive it as they want to through their own Mm -hmm. eyes. Mm -hmm. So I think that's a a big piece of being a writer, being able to do that and and then let it go. Um, okay, but you know, it was hard. Listen, this is personal, but it was a little hard for me with my book, which was with a major publisher. When people write to me about the packaging, the box, <laughs> and that's <laughs> no, really, I, I like, I literally was, I think I said to someone, 
you know, if you're only talking to me about the packaging, then I know exactly where you are in your spiritual and tarot journey, and I wish you well. (laughs) But I also think there's this idea that, like, uh, this idea that words have power. I really, Mm -hmm. really believe in that. I mean, you know your book has changed things. You you know your blog has changed things. Absolutely. I don't don't know if anything I've written has changed anything. But obviously um, it's changed things, right? You were recognized. Come on. let's. I've given her props all week for this, but being recognized by your peers. I'm not going to lie. It does not suck to walk around the Emmy ceremony holding that statue in your hand. But I I do have to give props (laughs) to Bernie Sue, who created the show that I worked on and, and had the vision to go, there are all of these new tools for writers to use right like it's not just yeah. like going like basically first we had pen and paper then we had our screens you know Trent you had a blog which like took that to the next level so we mm-hmm. used we told a story it was a modern adaptation of Jane Austen's Emma where we then used Twitter and a blog and Pinterest and all kinds of things to tell different pieces of the story in different ways and to express the point of view of our character. And I think, honestly, that's part of why it was so successful. I think going back to good writing, I think Jane Austen was successful because she had a point of view and she put it out there. Mm -hmm. And there were a lot of people Mm -hmm. who disagreed with it, but there were a lot of people who loved it. But also you including and modernizing it with those things that we are actually Pinterest, whatever it is, dealing with today is exactly what Shakespeare and Jane Austen did in their time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I'm I'm really proud of the fact that, you know, our lead was Asian-American and that we, you know, had very open casting and didn't get, you know, married to what somebody thought a a classical adaptation should look like. It reflected the world as it is today. And that's really important to me. As a creator. Yeah. No, I, lo- I love that you said that because sometimes when I see people say, that cartoon character, now that it's going to be a movie, that can't be that black actor. And I'm like, it's right. a fucking cartoon character. Okay. That's a debate that's happening in the in the new Sandman adaptation of the Neil Gaiman comic book. Uh, the character Death, who in the comic is a white-faced character. She's not even human. She's Death. And the actress who has been cast is is black. And there's an uproar about she can't be because, because, because. And and it's something like... And in the end, all of us who are sitting here talking today... Uh, have an other background, right? Mm-hmm. And which is not true. I, I don't know why I got to call it other, right? Because anything that isn't, you know, Anglo-Saxon Protestant is other in our mm-hmm. world. So, mm-hmm. um, Tamara is Jewish. Trent uh, is Mexican, right? Yeah, I'm black Mexican and Jewish. American, yeah. So mm-hmm. we all are saying something and what we're putting out there that is filtered through our history. So that's yeah. and that's something else. This quote made me think about a lot. You know, this idea of what are you saying? Should you say something? And and the pressure right now that there is, quite frankly, in the world to comment on things, to to take a stand, to be on record. And I think in some ways that's amazing, especially, you know, like you were saying, for communities that have previously been marginalized, communities of color, LGBTQ, LGBTQ folks, victims, mm-hmm. you know, of anti-Semitism, et cetera. And it's really important for all of our respective communities to know that there are people out there who are loud and proud and supporting. I mean, I've spent the past month, two months working on different pride events because I, I write live events. That's one of my other writing things that I do and and helping amplify people's voices. I have a quick question for you because you look at uh, like you could look many things, right? But ultimately, you kind of could look like an Irish girl. She has this gorgeous red hair. She's a beautiful mm-hmm. girl. Do people say stuff in front of you? Oh, How many times has that happened yeah. where they don't know you're Jewish? Oh, mo- most people assume that I'm Irish. And um, <laughs> yeah, I've definitely, definitely had things said in front of me. And it's, look, it's an interesting, there's a whole other topic, but 
it's an interesting way to walk through the world because I I present as as white. I do not present mm-hmm. as belonging to a particular religion or, or minority. And Judaism is viewed as as many different things by many different people. But yet, mm-hmm. my folks have been, you know, as you know, Rachel, because you're Jewish as well. It, it, our folks have been persecuted in many many different ways for a really really long time. And so, it, it's an interesting way to walk through the world. Well, and yeah, and you're in between, like kind of what you were saying, where you're privy to some of the racism because people don't know what you are, is an interesting and a very other position. Not everyone has that experience that you have because people can tell that trends something or I'm something, you know. But even with me, I'm in another position. I had a girl recently say on Twitter, like, oh, I didn't know you were you were black enough to talk. It's like, mm. bitch, <laughs> first <Wow>. of all. <sighs> and people feel very comfortable saying that to me because of the patois of my voice or whatever. And that is why I thought, well, when I wrote my book, right, as per this quote, writers cannot write without saying something. I included in some personal essays from my life as well as the the tarot stuff because yep. I wanted to say something uh, about my experience as a Gen X aged black yep. woman in America, basically. And just like what you were talking, what you've written, that that'll stay there for people later to hopefully synthesize. Trent, what do you think yeah. about this quote? And that is what I love so much about your book, Rachel, is it, it's it's a wonderful tarot handbook, but your personal stories illuminate the meanings of the cards so well. So uh, just as an aside, I love your book and I haven't said that. I'll publicly, take that because writing is hard. It's writers, very hard. Like, it's very this, hard. Per this quote, writers cannot write without saying something. Yeah. Good writers, as Tamara pointed out, yeah. cannot write without saying something. But to actually write and, you know, she's got an enemy, I don't, but to write something and have it lay well on the page, but also yeah. have it lay in your ear mm-hmm. when yeah. you hear it well, is no small feat, you know? Um, you know, I also feel like the argument could be made that even bad writers are saying something. They're saying, you know, they might not be a, a, a source to take seriously. I mean, I, I think the point of this, like, writers do say something, whether it's good or bad, and it 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 it. it, it It depends on how you interpret it. When I was a blogger, for the longest time, I rejected the notion that I was a writer because I I was commenting daily on like the frivolity of pop culture in a fun way. You know, it was the it was the mid 2000s. It was the Bush administration. So I just wanted to put something out that was fun and that made people laugh and feel good about themselves. So in my daily commentary about X, Y, Z, whatever, over time, I realized I was saying something and it wasn't necessarily the individual things about, you know, Star Trek or this show that I saw or this celebrity that I like. I was saying that that me as an out gay Mexican-American man had an opinion about things and I had feelings about things and I was passionate about these things and that resonated with people. So over the course of of the writing that I did on a day-to-day basis about, quote unquote, the frivolity of just, you know, throwaway pop culture, I was saying something that resonated with readers who saw me as the first gay person they they felt was a friend. Or, um, you know, uh, I love Britney Spears and I love Nine Inch Nails. And I thought I was the only person on earth who liked those two things so much. I love them both so much and they're so different. And I would meet, I would hear from readers in the comments or like at the movie theater when someone recognized me and they're like, I never knew another gay Nine Inch Nails fan. Like you're the first one. 
So over the course of me just commenting, I was a writer who was saying something that I wasn't even aware of at the time. It's only something that I saw in retrospect or, you know, as an, an overview. Per this quote, writers cannot write without saying something. What do you think you guys were saying in what you won the Emmy for? Because, right, mm. it's a thing we know. We've already read the original. What were you saying with that piece? Um, I was going to, okay, well, one thing I was just going to say in in reaction to what Trent was yeah, saying please. was that I think, and this struck me too when we were talking about it earlier in the week, this idea, you were talking about how people commented so much mm -hmm. on, you know, the mm -hmm. blogs and what you were putting out there. And as you think about that, this body of work that builds up of yours over time, and the fact that you go from commenting to building community. Mm -hmm. And those two things Aww. work hand in hand. And the idea that someone out there is reading your stuff, and you're that window of reflection for them. And just how important that is and how important it is to have those voices out there. What a lovely point. And that was something that I am still blessed to enjoy because I haven't, I, you know, I finished writing my blog in 2015 and I have hundreds of friends on Facebook that still we interact constantly to this day about my life, about their lives, about pop culture. There is a community of people out there that I consider friends that I may never meet. And it all comes from this thing that I did and that they that resonated with them and we connected and we're still connected. So I have that similar community and this ties into what Rachel was bringing up. I have that similar community that comes partly from Emma Approved, which was very feminist facing and very much this idea that, you know, women can be out there and be entrepreneurs and be leaders. And Emma's a character, which we, you know, kept from the Austin character in, mm -hmm. in our adaptation, who is very much about like finding the potential in everybody else and really helping them discover the best in themselves, which kind of ties to a quote for, of ours earlier in the week. But Sirens, which is the creative team I'm a part of uh, that's really focused on science advocacy and using entertainment as an on-ramp, we connected with our community actually originally mostly through Twitter. And because we wrote what we cared about, we had a point of view saying we got to yes. support women in STEM, yes. saying science is important for your everyday life because it touches everything that you do. And then we found people mm -hmm. who responded to that. And that's where our community mm -hmm. came from. We've pivoted mm -hmm. to STEAM, though, haven't we? Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I just always have to add that in because per all these quotes and, and just talking about this stuff, being an artist. Well, for right? us, the steam part was always um, intrinsic to it because we were actors and writers. So we were a right, creative right. team that was marrying the creative with the STEM. So, but yeah, always, always steamy, always steamy. <laughs> I just got nervous there for a while when they weren't, uh, you know, I thought, oh gosh, I don't want to grow up in an America where arts don't have by a the place wayside. because <clears throat> I'm the exact age to remember when they cut the uh, National Endowment to the Arts in New York City, it was such a big deal because I went to, uh, for a while, New York City Public School, and we, I went to go see opera. I, w I had mm. so much arts in my school uh, that and, and musical lessons, you know, and I was amazed when I moved upstate to know they didn't have any of that. <laughs> any of that. Yeah. And I wanted to make a cynical comment about internet friends, you know, because I caught a stalker and certain things, you know, and have a 10-year restraining order. But the truth is you can find a really good community. You have to have your ears and eyes open, though, because there's some charlatans. 
right. and uh, nefarious people, internet yeah. friends. So we're meant to stay okay. internet friends. It's like all you just gave me yeah, the no, perfect ahead. on-ramp again. God, I love both of you. Um, <laughs> so when we were talking before about putting putting your point of view out there, right? Especially you know for marginalized communities, especially when it comes to social activism. Um, part of the reason I think that the online community I found worked is that we would then find one another in spaces in real life, whether they were science Uh, conferences or, you know, things we would show up at where that combined STEM with with the arts and, you know, things like that. And so part of the reason I bring that up is because I strongly believe like, yes, you, you should put your opinion out there, but it can't just be an Instagram post. It can't just be a Twitter you know, hundred and what I guess it's now two eighty characters. It has to be paired with real action in real life on the ground, right. or else nothing yep. moves forward. I, I agree with that. I mean, and listen, it's a great platform, right? Uh, social media, terrific platform for getting these ideas out there. But when people say I'm a Twitter warrior, I'm like, I laugh at you um, <laughs> in your face a little bit. Uh, I do because I'm not saying you can't be a Twitter warrior, but I think that's not it, enough. It's not enough. It, well. It's about galvanizing all the sides, right? right I don't right. want to tell people what to do, but I feel like there's a false sense of security der- or, or accomplishment, I should say, derived from sitting on Twitter and, and tweeting some things and then it gets some traction and you think you've done the work, but a lot of, I'm sure the work in your organization is ground is hands-on, on the ground, right? Yeah, you and look, there's actively. all... There's all different ways to be an activist in whatever area of, of life you're concerned with, whether it's, you know, climate change or women's rights or racial justice or, you know, social inequalities. I mean, you can be that Twitter warrior raising. I'm not knocking the Twitter warrior, but like I look at it like a Brie Newsome and she climbed that flagpole first Mm -hmm. before she was a Twitter. She had action. Right. Right. Or other people, you know what I mean. Yeah. And there's also quiet ways to do it as well. I mean, for some people, that's not their that's not their jam. And actually, the way their activism takes shape is those quiet conversations with a family member that are really, really hard to have. But you have the courage to open the door to go back and have those conversations with people who you might disagree with. When one thing I've said over the course of the podcast, too, is like, you know, my whole Gen X life, I've said to either, you know, my white peers or, or adults that I know, like, this is da 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 da. And they'll go, no, it's not. So what I think we can do, or I'd love to uh, hopefully encourage, you know, everybody, including my white brothers and sisters to do is speak up because my brown face isn't going to change your racist uncle's opinion. But your white face could maybe because he cares about you and he loves you. So I would love it if people would take a step out of their comfort zone and per this quote, say something. Right. Yeah. What a great way to end such an amazing conversation today. All of the amazing conversations we have all week with you tomorrow. Thank you so Tamara, much. It's such a, a pleasure. Oh, it has been a blast talking to both of you and getting to celebrate Mr. Roddenberry's words and see it's just amazing how relevant they are to so yeah. much of, of what is going on today in our world. No, we really appreciate your insight this week. Yeah. And if you would like to uh, watch today's video of Ronnie Cox reading the quote, you can check it out on our official Instagram, Facebook, and you Twitter. Mean Sergeant Taggart from Beverly Hills Cop? Uh, yeah, you Ronnie do. Yes. Yeah, you do. <laughs> there you go. There you go. You can check that out on our social media account pages. And we hope you'll join us again tomorrow for another episode of Quoting Gene Roddenberry. Bye. <laughs> Thanks for joining us for another episode of Quoting Gene Roddenberry. 
We'd love to hear your thoughts on today's quote. So tweet us, post us, DM us, whatever. We're at Roddenberry on Twitter and Facebook and at Roddenberry Official on Instagram. Quoting Gene Roddenberry is a Roddenberry podcast hosted by me, Rachel True. And me, Trent Venegas. Producing are Claire Kramer and Kelsey Goldberg with executive producers Trevor Roth and Rod Roddenberry. Engineering and editing are provided by Elizabeth Joy Windham. And special thanks to all those who were kind enough to read a quote and give a voice to Gene Roddenberry's everlasting words. Live long and prosper. 